Lord of glory, power, and revival, we bless you for your love. We bless you for your majesty. We bless you for your ever unfailing hand that is seated upon our lives, directs the world, and has everything in control. We bless you, Lord, that never wants us to settle in one place uh, in terms of uh, spiritual direction. You want us to be increasing from one level unto another. You don't want us to be stunted. You don't want us to be stagnant. We want to pray, Lord, that you shall be there to guide us, O King of glory, and to direct everything that concerns our spiritual work. We now pray that you continue rooting us upon the foundation of true revival. We bless you, King of glory. In Jesus' mighty name, we have prayed and believed. Amen. My dear friend, I would like to <clears throat> greet you in the mighty name of the Lord Jesus Christ. And um, we want to bless him for loving us and for fighting our battles and for being there in uh, our situations um in every every way now we started yesterday looking at uh, the foundations of uh, revival um we thought we'd do <laughs> quite a number of points but we couldn't and we were not in a hurry anyway we had to do a good job and today we want to take this forward we say that the foundation is the most important part of a building and therefore oftentimes actually if you went to a storied building and uh, you found um you know engineers doing their work and uh, the the masons and the workmen going about their business and uh, they are finally done and they have buried everything down there you could think that maybe they cheated you in terms of money but there's a lot of money that is poured down there that is finally buried up that you cannot see but yet it is the foundation it is at the very strength of that building even when you don't see it so that is how a foundation looks like in other words it is the most important part of the building even when it is invisible so when it comes to spiritual revival as well you're going to find that there are things that you are going to have to work on or that are you know requisite in nature they are prerequisites in nature they have gotten to be in place before revival can happen and uh, we've so far looked at you know um the word of god you see we've so far looked at the word of god and today we want to do the second one um which is uh, spiritual hunger spiritual hunger is what we want to uh, quickly uh, look at and we are first of all going to take it from uh, psalm 42 uh, psalm 42 uh, that is what we are going to start with the bible says but as a deer pants for the water brooks uh, so my soul pants for you O god my soul thirsts uh, thirst for the uh, for God, for the living God. When shall I come and appear before God? My tears have been my food day and night, while they say to me, all day long, where is your God? Praise the Lord. Um, uh, this this is the psalm of the sons of Korah, and uh, you can see at the center of their heart is a strong desire for the Lord within them. I mean, you find this in many Psalms, in very many Psalms, um, you see this spirit of yearning for the Lord and desiring him. And uh, just like we are saying that you need um, a spiritual hunger to be able uh, to get a revival going, this is something that um, you don't work up on your own, but it is instigated by the spirit like we are going to be seeing later on. 
And after that has been done, it propels you. The things of the Spirit are not things that you can drive on your own. You see that, my dear friend? They are not things that you can drive on your own, but it is something that is propelled of the Spirit. Friends, the foundation of this or the background of this is the fact that man is created to derive their life and live off him, basically through who? Um, and through this relationship, you're meant to live off God. So, and naturally, you're going to find that you're meant to desire a being with the Lord. You're meant to crave a being with Him. That is what it is meant to be. There are times in my life when I've felt like I am not what I'm meant to be, especially in these things of the Spirit. You feel like you're not praying the way that you should be praying. You feel like you are departing from the very foundation where you're meant to be you know it is an inner desire it comes in there uh, just like you feel like i i want to eat such and such a thing oh i should be in such and such a place oh i must make this achievement it is something that also comes in the spirit and you feel propelled and um you know you want to um you, you want to get to a certain level in your spirit uh, that is how it feels like uh, the uh, the other scripture that brings this out very well is Habakkuk uh, in chapter 1. We see Habakkuk thirsting for the Lord and having this hunger for the Lord, desiring that the Lord will change things because uh, the way that he stood uh, was not very good. In Habakkuk chapter 1, verse 1, uh, the Bible says, The oracle which Habakkuk the prophet saw, How long, O Lord, will I call for help? And you will not hear. I cry out to you, violence, yet you do not save. Why do you make me see iniquity and cause me to look on wickedness? Yes, destruction and violence are before me. Strife exists and contention arises. This is the kind of spiritual hunger that we are speaking about. Habakkuk is praying unto the Lord because uh, Judah then was full of perversion, was full of injustice, was full of idolatry. And as a holy man, he was crying out before God and telling him, you know what? This is not what we are meant to be. I am praying that this shall change. You see, he was thirsting for holiness. He was thirsting for righteousness. And this is the point we are making here. Friends, in our lives, if you are going to change and go back to what we are meant to be, or get to what God has created us to be in terms of our spiritual relationship with him, you need to have this spiritual hunger within you or thirst. You don't settle for less in any way, but you keep, you know, getting propelled by the Spirit forward and you feel like you love the Lord. You want to be in his presence. In Psalm 84, must be verse 10, he says that, you know, dreading um, in the house of the Lord is uh, for one day is far much more better than dwelling for a thousand days in the tents of the rich. You see, David says this in several other locations. For example, in, uh, in, in, in Psalm 27, he says, one thing I've asked of you, my Lord, and do not deny it to me. I want to dwell in your presence all the days of my life. You see, there is a fullness that comes into someone's life when they dwell in the presence of the Lord. But we are saying it is something that you've gotten to desire within you. And then the Lord shall fill you up. His word says, delight in the Lord and will give you the desires of your heart. Especially if your desire is spiritual. This is something that God wants to look at. But the problem is we desire and thirst for so many other things. Look at the effort that we put in 
in our careers, the time that we commit in, in our careers, in, in our studies, and lots of other things. So you get up, uh, you, you, you end up realizing that you're getting results in them. Uh, why? Because you focused on them and you're desiring to have them, you see, and you're desiring to make achievements in those particular areas of your life. So this is how it works. In the East African revival of the 1930s, if you remember that, before it came up, Christianity had been here for nearly, uh, what, 90 years. And what happened was that, um, for nearly 100 years, what happened was that the people then were getting stale. And it took people that were committed on the Lord to look at the situation of the church, examine it, and they got to a point and they said, this is not what we are meant to be. People were messing up. There was a lot of... Um, you know, syncretism where people uh, were coming to church, but they also were handling and treating God in, um, you know, as as if as if he wasn't the only God. Like someone goes into purportedly their cultural stuff, they are worshiping their ancestors, so to say, but they also come to church. They they, they had some people had three wives and they, they still came to church. And this thing was eating up even on the ministers. You know, you can read the history of the East African revival. But when some people that had a spiritual hunger about their lives got tired of this situation, they started seeking the Lord. And that is how the Lord led uh, the church into a revival in those days and it was an immense revival because it even had impact um as far as europe up to today it is not strange for you to hear people sing to kute tendereza yes you know it is not hard for you to hear them sing even whites you see so that is how it works so it's this spiritual hunger is a very powerful foundation of revival what it actually does is that it creates a force within you opens your eyes and creates um, that desire that hates the current situation of vile and propels you forward into what god wants you to be you see revival is a dissatisfaction with the current unfulfilling stage or state of life or situation and then when you're fed up with that kind of thing then god gets to fill you up into what you must be having um secondly today the sweeping power of the holy spirit is a very powerful um foundation of revival the sweeping power of the holy spirit is a very powerful foundation of revival when you go to acts chapter 2 you get to realize the gist of what we are talking about here my dear friend in acts chapter 2 Verse 1, the Bible says, when the door of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind. And it filled the whole house where they were sitting. And they appeared uh, to them tongues as of fire, distributing themselves. And they rested on each one of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devotee men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. They were amazed and astonished, saying, Why, why are not all these 
uh, who are speaking Galileans, and now we see that we each hear them in our own language to which we are born. Now that's another thing that we could look at another day. I hear people argue about tongues. The tongues that we have spoken on that day were known languages. The, the word term, a tongue, the term tongue in Greek is interpreted gloxa. It is interpreted gloxa, which means a non-language, and not like what uh, you want to hear people today speak and they claim those are tongues and they're not a language uh, or a dialect anywhere that could be interpreted anywhere in life. But that could be, uh, you know, a teaching of another day. What we are saying here is that when the Holy Spirit comes, he is the very power that engineers revival. The Holy Spirit is the rail upon which the train of revival moves. He is the tarmac on which the car of revival uh, moves. You understand? That is how it is. It is the power that drives revival. Friends, earlier on in Acts chapter 1, uh, the Lord had cautioned his disciples and told them, Do not leave Jerusalem until you are filled with want the Holy Spirit, and he told them that once you finally have received him, you receive power to do one. First of all, uh, let me read that in Acts chapter 1, verse 4. He says, gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you had, eh, you had of from me. Uh, verse 8, he says, but you receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses, both in Jerusalem and uh, to the remotest part of the earth. Uh, you, you, you hear that? Now, what we need to understand here was that the Holy Spirit was actually coming, um, not for the very first time in matters of principle, he had been there, but for the very first time as in establishing the church. So in other words, this was uh, the first time that he was descending to drill you know, permanently in the lives of believers. But they had actually already believed in Christ. But when the Holy Spirit came, he brought a revival. He brought something new. He took their faith to a new level. It is the Holy Spirit that gives you this power by God working in you and enabling you to be able to accomplish several, several things. You know, the spirit is the lifeline of the church. The spirit is the blood that circulates the glucose and energy that we need, the calories to move the church. You understand that, my dear friend? You see, he supplies the life that we need. He is the life of the church. The Holy Spirit is the life of the church. If revival is going to happen, we need to desire the presence of the Holy Spirit and his power to be dominantly present in our lives. He is the power that drives the church. In Acts chapter 2 and verse 37, you get to realize that um, this becomes evident. He says in verse 37 that now when they had when they heard this, they were pierced to the heart and uh, said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, brethren, what shall we do? Peter said to them, repent and each of you uh, be baptized in the name of Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins and you receive the gift of the Holy Spirit for the promise is for you and so on and so forth when Peter was speaking the word of God like we saw yesterday 
the, the, the word, you know, pierced these people on the inside. And then he says, what have they gotten to do? They have gotten to accept um, the Lord Jesus Christ, believe in him, and they will receive the Holy Spirit. It's not that one happens after the other, but they happen concurrently at that point. And when the Spirit of God comes, he brings a revival in our lives. He redirects our lives. We see Peter's preaching. Peter that had been a weak man, that had, had even denied Christ at some point. We see that he was able to preach the gospel and 3,000 people came to Christ on one day. You see that? Because of permitting the Holy Spirit to operate in his life. There are many people that desire to be like what they used to be in the past. Probably you were a person that prayed, you were a person that fasted, you were a person that sought the Lord, you were a person that was not dominated by sin. And uh, right now you are just a shadow of your former self and you're striving on your own. What you need is the Holy Spirit. Once he comes, he directs you. He takes you by those rivers of life-giving water. He directs you. He knows what to do. It is the Spirit of God that breathes life into our, um, you know, staleness. Uh, the picture that I have here is the one of Ezekiel 37. What happened was that when Ezekiel received this, uh, you know, um, when he received this vision, you could see that there were dry bones and they were completely gone. And the angel was asking him, is it possible for these bones to be alive again? And he said he did no. But the angel showed him that by the power of the Spirit of God, God can bring back life into the dead. What the church needs today is the Holy Spirit. Theology alone is not going to help. Actually, proper theology is drilled or, or drills on the Holy Spirit. That is how it works. You see, the church doesn't simply uh, need men that have simply, you know, gotten um, uh, their positions and they are not led of the Spirit of God. That is why you see that even gifts like leadership are gifts of the Holy Spirit. He is the source of life. Let, let us grant him to come and submerge our families uh, in his presence, our churches, our work. You know, we are striving in our own formula, but our formulas are not going to work. We need the Spirit of God. Tell him, Spirit of God, come and take control of my life. That is how it works, my dear friend. That is how it works. It basically works in that way. The church cannot have its place until it has the Holy Spirit operating in there. Uh, thirdly, uh, you have gotten to experience an encounter with the truth of God. You need to encounter the truth of God. You know, when we encounter the truth of God, which comes uh, through his power and his word, that is what is going to open us up uh, to you know, seeing things the way that God sees them and uh, to desiring to walk like he requires us to walk, my dear friend. That is how it works. Without the truth, you're lost. Without the truth, you don't have power to propel you forward. And without the truth, you don't have a standard to walk by. You know the reason you can easily find a very beautiful girl sleeping around or a very responsible man sleeping around and doing whatever he's doing and is wayward? You know why? Because they don't have a standard within their lives. But what the truth of God does is it is going to set a standard in your life. We are living in a generation of... of um, you know, subjectivity, where they want to believe that the truth is, you know, subjective. They are like, there is no absolute truth, you know, there is no 
absoluteness like black and white. They want to tell you that something is true in the hand of the beholder. It depends on how someone sees things. What? You know, that is the notion and the argument of, um, you know, modernism and postmodernism. That is why they teach you something is right because you will. You will so. Huh? But that is not true. We did not live on our own. We have a standard from the one that determined that we are going to, to live. You see that, my dear friend? That is how it works. I want to point out a scripture here that is going to do it very well. Uh, from Second Kings chapter uh, 5. In Second Kings chapter 5 and verse 14, you're going to see when someone encounters the truth, what actually happens. This is the story of this man, uh, Naaman. You remember him? Naaman was a powerful, you know, army commander and accomplished war general that won several battles for his people, the Assyrians. But the problem was that he was a leper. And in the Near East, uh, in those days, um, including in Israel itself, a leper was nearly cast, and they did not live in, uh, you know, in, in, in amidst the people. They had to take you outside the camp. You see that? They had to take you outside the camp. Like we see in Leviticus chapter 13, verse 36, you find time and read that. You're going to see this, um, you know, the regulations uh, concerning lepers. So what happened was that um, a young lady that had been, um, you know, taken as a prisoner of war, uh, was working with Naaman's wife. And one time she must have beheld Naaman with his leprosy, and she talked about it uh, to the wife. And the wife definitely must have whispered to the husband. And through the king, this man had letters uh, sending him to, um, uh, you know, Samaria. And when um, he got over there, uh, prophet Elisha um, administered healing upon him by the power of the word of God. Now, this is what happened after he had encountered his healing. Second uh, Kings chapter 5, verse 14 says, So he went down and dipped himself seven times in the Jordan, according to the word of the man of God. And his flesh was restored like the flesh of a living child, and it was clean. When he returned to the man of God with all his company, and came and stood before him, he said, Behold now, I know that there is no God in all the earth. You see that? <laughs> I love that. Praise the Lord. I know now that there is no God in all the earth, but in Israel. So please take a present from your servant now. But he said, Who is that, Elisha? As the Lord lives before whom I stand, I will take, I will take uh, nothing. And he urged him to take it, but he refused. Naaman said, if, if not, please let your servant at least be given two mules, Lord of earth, uh, two mules, Lord of earth, for your servant will no longer offer burnt offering, nor will he sacrifice to other gods. You see that? But to the Lord in this matter, and may the Lord pardon your servant when my master goes into uh, the house of Ramon to worship there and he leans on my hand and i bow myself in the house of ramon when i bow myself in the house of ramon the lord pardon your servant in this matter he said to him go in peace now this is what i want you to take note of uh, uh, in uh, um verse uh, you know um verse 17 he says neman says if not please l let me have um let your servant 
at least be given to muse lord of earth for your servant to no longer offer burnt offerings nor will he sacrifice to other gods but the lord now through the healing this is the means that god used to encounter this man when you encounter the truth and you get to realize that there is one god and no other and you realize that um this is what god requires of your life uh, you know uh, and not uh, the other thing that you've been fighting with that moment of truth is a moment of change and transformation it gets you to see things the way that god sees them and uh, basically and um, turn around or uh, take a change of direction uh, from the way that you are doing things formally you see that my dear friend this is how it works this is how it works it basically works in this kind of direction eh? once you encounter the truth when Paul encountered the truth in Acts chapter 9 verse 1 to 4 uh, when he encountered Christ he did not remain the same we let us see him saying um, in Philippians chapter 3 he says whatever thing he considered profitable now he does want he considers rubbish in comparison to the great truth that he encountered in Christ Jesus this is what we are saying there are things that we used to treasure in our walk formerly before we came to Christ but now they don't mean much that is why you find people wasting a lot of time in life pursuing things per se I'm not saying that for example work is bad I work myself I really do I'm not saying that you know achievements in and as of themselves are bad but we are saying when someone focuses on them then they lose the mark they lose the truth you see you miss the truth and once you miss the truth you're going to be living in you know a life of lies that cannot be fulfilling in any way and this is why when john is speaking of the truth he says that um the the word came with that um the law came with moses but uh, grace and truth came with who christ jesus so when you have christ in your life you're able to discern the truth and once the truth sits in your life you're going to be transformed my dear friend you're going to find yourself getting revived one of my daughters was testifying recently and she said uh, we kept teaching about the fact that it is possible for someone to have absolute peace and absolute peace in christ even when you may have challenges uh, but uh, you, you see until she experienced it she could not uh, imagine that this was true so friends once once you encounter the truth it is a very powerful vehicle of um um revival finally today a prayer prayer releases the power and guidance from god prayer really does it releases a power and guidance from god in acts chapter 12 and verse 1 onwards we see the story of peter uh, getting arrested when peter got arrested um by herod uh, these uh, brethren and the faithfuls uh, the faithful ones went ahead to pray for him to be released out of prison and they kept praying and they kept praying and they kept praying and when they prayed peter was released out of prison and you could see that through this prayer they continued you know getting strengthened and getting revived you see because they stood together in prayer they saw that kind of power you know there were people that were living in a, a lot of panic and fear because of uh, the leaders of the jews and the pharisees and the sadducees 
you see but finally when they got to realize that prayer works secondly they saw what god was doing through prayer thirdly it was edifying their inner man i mean the church was growing spreading from one place unto another even uh, in the midst of persecution so this is what we need my dear friend prayer has a way of touching god prayer has a way of giving you perspective the right perspective of seeing things and prayer has a way of soothing you prayer is a means of empowerment in your life spiritually so you keep walking and you keep going on instead of i mean feeling like you can't go on anymore it is times of prayer that you know bring revival prayer helps us to tap into uh, you know the heavenlies and to get to know what god wants and his will and to get to know how god wants things to be done and this is how change and transformation is going to come across we are praying for revival today my heavenly savior we pray that we shall revive the church we pray that we shall revive our families we pray that you revive our personal lives and our personal work and fellowship with you where we've fallen away from your presence where we've gone into spiritual courtness in one way or the other ignite us through prayer ignite us my heavenly savior through a spiritual hunger create a spiritual hunger in our lives that will thirst for you and desire you lord and be renewed just like we started my father fasting for you as a dear panthers for the waters we are praying that we shall come and revive the church even in our day in jesus my name have prayed amen may the lord bless you god bless you